Homicide Westminster, Chapter 173, Kung Flu. Trump's chief health adviser had said, don't do it. His senior staffers had said, not a great idea, sir. And Melania got off the fence she'd always sat on and agreed with them all that no, she'd rather he'd do something online. But this was like a red rag to a raging bull. It fed his testosterone and made him absolutely determined to do it. That is, have his own way. He'd show them all who was boss, even though all these people were clearly on his side. But no matter, saying no to the Donald was never going to work, never in a million years. And so the day, and so the first rally of the presidential campaign went ahead, regardless of the virus risks to life and limb, as social distancing at such an event was impossible, and most had followed their leader's example and refused to wear a face covering. Not getting out there, winning and showing all those mugs who was in charge was just what Trump never did, ever. Except this time, everything had changed. People were dying in their scores of thousands due to Trump's nonchalant confidence that they had nothing to fear from this Chinese virus which had taken to calling Kung Flu. But why then? were massive screens erected around the huge trenches being dug on the outskirts of New York. Oh, that's it, to hide the fact that thousands of nameless, homeless souls who'd not had the balls to stand up to this piddly flu thing were being unceremoniously dumped ten deep into their depths. Back at the rally, things also weren't going to plan. Those pesky, supposed Trump supporters he was trying to woo and whose votes he desperately needed hadn't turned up. What should have been a record-busting 19,000 crowd inside the stadium with spillover facilities for thousands more turned out to be a damp squib of a mere 6,000 audience. And that just wasn't enough for the Donald to get into the swing of wooing a massive crowd with promises of jobs and economic sure-footedness. And he was raging. Who'd got that wrong? He was going to find out and burn them alive. But the six staffers behind this rally had been quarantined, having tested positive for Kung Flu, and therefore, fortunately for them, being put out of range of Trump's flamethrower temper. It turned out that some music platform or other had managed to convince hundreds of thousands of its listeners to reserve tickets for the rally and just not turn up. Clever or what? as this had subverted and foxed the sophisticated White House machinery and made them all look silly. Except Trump managed to reprieve himself a little by faking tottering along a narrow walkway which had fluffed at the West Point graduation ceremony the previous week for which he'd been mercilessly jibed on social media, media ever since. He'd get his own back, he'd vowed, so something good had come out of this rally, or so he told himself... Back in Blighty, on his weekly chat show, Neil Forthright was having a hard time, what with the altercation over gender, slash race, slash inequality, slash he'd forgotten the plot, he'd lost the plot as to whatever vicious campaign he was trying to skirt around, making a living along the way. Why do I put myself through this? I mean, read this, he said at the end of the show, handing his phone to his co-presenter, Joanna Mead. 
on which was the latest Twitter spat. Blimey, that's a bit extreme, Ship observed. How are they going to do that to you? God knows, Forthright replied. I'm glad I'm a cynical, hard-bitten sort, otherwise I'd be a quivering wreck. Which could have described how Potty should have felt as he made his way to the central podium on what turned out to be the last 5pm coronavirus briefing after 92 days of lockdown. Not that anyone had been forewarned, otherwise there might have been some sort of protest or celebration. But there wasn't. Just the two scientific chiefs, loyal to the last, providing comforting medical explanations to questions from the journos and the queries posed by the usual hand-picked two members of the public. It was quite a meek affair after weeks of daily, then weekday, briefings, the usual exhortations to stay alert, stop the virus and save the NHS, followed by the well done to every member of the public for using their good old British common sense in supporting the twists and turns of this government's coronavirus policies, which included the many U-turns, ranging from school meal vouchers for the summer holidays, the world-beating app, whose mere mention seemed to have been expunged from history, and several more. This had all seemed like government on the hoof, which of course it was, given the, wait for it, unprecedented circumstances of Covid. Soon enough, in fact the very next day, a sense of political normality was achieved by the Secretary of State for Housing, babyface Rob Gooden, who had been accused of speeding up a planning application for a loyal party donor, Bill Redmond. Thank God for dear old babyface, the PM Bleary-eyed from another night on nappy-changing duty, had said to Mandy. Why is that? She yawned, not really having enough energy to be interested in the latest gossip from downstairs. Well, he's been dragged into this cash-for-planning squabble with London's mayor baying for blood. He sped through planning permission for several hundred houses on a site old Bill Redmond owns outright near Canary Wharf thus missing being stuffed with the newly created council utility tax by one day. And, probed Mandy probed, perking up at the sound of lots of money, how much did he save? Oh, several million, no doubt, replied Potty. Well, the mayor has said he would have granted approval anyway if 35% of the site had been allocated to affordable housing which is fine, but that won't provide Bill with enough profit to make all the hassle worthwhile. How much is not enough profit, asked Mandy, whose curiosity had been piqued by all that lolly. Oh, I'd say again, another several million, he replied, yawning widely, discharging saliva as he did so. Oh, please, Potty, Hector's right beside you in the Moses basket. Oops, sorry, my sweet, Potty said grovelingly and hoping Mandy wouldn't go off on a hormone-charged rant. Fortunately, she didn't, so Potty was able to relax back into the padded headrest of the bed and finish his tea. Anyway, it's all good news, because it's the first time, it's the first day since the pandemic started that the headlines are back to business as usual, Potty chortled. And what's that? probed Mandy. Oh, the usual accusations of bribery and corruption, scoffed Potty, spilling tea all over the duvet as he heaved with laughter. That's why I said, good old baby face.
Anyway, what's on for the morning? Mandy questioned. Not much, really. Might be able to get a haircut, he said. Well, that would be good, as you're looking more like a shaggy white Dulux dog every day, she said, managing a laugh. Later on that day, Sir Kieran Hardy, Labour leader, leapt on the opportunity to stamp his authority by sacking the Shadow Education Secretary, Linda Slight Moss. Live by the sword, you die by the sword, Linda, Hardy said wryly at her farewell interview. But, but, she started eyebrows dancing in sheer surprise at the swiftness of his decision. Sorry, but you give me the opportunity I've been waiting for. I'll show both sides who's boss, Hardy said. All I did was retweet an article, Slight Moss complained. Yes, and one which is offensive and anti-Semitic, so enough said, Hardy responded. The pollsters went ballistic and for the first time since the Blair heydays recorded a Labour leader overtaking a Conservative in the popularity stakes. It could have been more to do with the fact that the butcher's dog a.k.a. the PM, could only complete 15 press-ups compared to the toned and honed Securians at 35. Shite! yelled Ben at the top of his voice when he saw this latest poll. Where's the PM? As this was shouted at no one in particular, no one in particular responded, which added fuel to Ben's flames and he went on the rampage, which wasn't an unusual event since the start of the pandemic, which had led to all his plans to deliver on Brexit and to level up, going awry. Duck, whispered the male intern loudly to his frat girlfriend. He's going to actually hit someone one day, what with all the files he chucks about. Surprised no one's complained, she said. We could, the lad added. What? And ruin any chance we have in the wretched world of politics, the girl observed, adding, you know... I do hope to work as an advisor, then crawl my way up. I know, said her boyfriend sympathetically, each to his own. And with that, they snuck out of the way of Ben's missiles and cowed by the vending machine. What's for supper tonight? asked the girl. Guess, he teased. Oh no, not beans on toast again, she responded. Well, it would be if we had some bread. Is there any we can salvage from someone's leftover sandwiches? Take a look in the bin, he suggested. What? she squalled. In the age of Covid? Sorry, he apologised. I forgot. I forgot.